It's a crazy world out there. We understand that, but uh, we have an answer. And we listen to what they say. We think of this. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so we have come here in that light. And uh, we will always be here in that light. We continue our series today of the Lenten season. We're working our way through the events that happened to Jesus and what he did leading up to his death and resurrection. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 22 for our text this morning. Luke's gospel chapter number 22 for our text. As we think about the events that led up to the crucifixion of Christ, we've been working our way through John's gospel. We skip over to Luke today because he's such a powerful author on this particular topic. Luke's gospel, chapter 22. I had a conversation with a fellow this week who said that he was in a place where they sell cigarettes. And the store set up tables in front of the checkout to keep customers away at a safe distance. He pointed out the irony of people who didn't want to catch coronavirus, but were paying money for cigarettes. (laughs) And the corona might give you a bad case of flu, but what do cigarettes do for you? (laughs) We have a prayer list every week here at our church, and there's usually a half a dozen people on it who have cancer that we're praying for. We have whole hospitals like Roswell dedicated entirely to cancer. I've done funerals for more cancer victims than for any other thing, but our society takes all that in stride. But now... We have an unprecedented situation based on what's called a coronavirus, a flu virus. The fear that has taken hold of people is based on the fact that this is a contagious disease. It passes very easily from one person to another and has spread all over the world because of its contagious nature. And so... We have been told to stay away from people, practice what is called social distancing. And so, as we face this situation, certainly everybody would have the feeling, I don't want to get this disease. Nobody wants it, right? Nobody wants to get any disease. That's a natural reaction. But the large fear is the spread of the disease, in particular, the spread of disease to somebody that we love. And that is certainly something that we all feel. Nobody wants that to happen, particularly to older folks. That's why we are limited today, because of our older folk. We love them. We want them to be safe. Of course, any disease would come under that category. I don't want the people I love to get cancer or have a stroke or heart disease or anything. My mother and my sister died of brain diseases. And so this fear of coronavirus is based on normal 
human emotions that we feel about those things. In our text today, we will see just such emotions as we are feeling today, only on another level. As we continue our Lenten series that will lead us up to Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, we're focusing in on the events that led up to the death of Jesus of Nazareth. And the story of Jesus is a story full of human emotions. Feelings that were being expressed about Jesus of Nazareth. His record of his life is that he went about doing good. We read a few weeks ago, we, he saw him, we saw him heal a man who was paralyzed in his legs for 38 years. That's an amazing miracle. But the Jewish leaders, that is the scribes and priests and Pharisees at the temple, criticized Jesus because the same man got up for the first time in 38 years and carried his bed, as Jesus instructed him to do, and it happened to be the Sabbath day. So they criticized. I can't imagine criticizing Jesus over the lame man carrying his bed. After 38 years not being able to walk. But their rules were more important than, to them than this man's newfound health. We saw again where Jesus cured a man who had been born blind. The man's eyes were deformed in his mother's womb. He had never seen anything. But Jesus healed that man's eyes. And the temple leaders brought the man in and questioned him. Who healed your eyes? He said, Jesus. They said, this Jesus is a sinner. We don't know where he came from. And the formerly blind man said, well, here's what all that I know. I used to be blind. Now I can see. And not since the beginning of time was anyone who ever known to open the eyes of a man born blind. They got so mad at him, they threw him out of the temple. And they sent out an order, arrest this Jesus of Nazareth, bring him in. That hatred of Jesus was growing larger and larger. Last week, we watched as Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and called him out of his tomb after he'd been dead for four days. A miracle so impressive that it couldn't be questioned. It was an amazing display of power. The response of the leaders in Jerusalem at the temple was that they held a council meeting and they made immediate plans to kill Jesus of Nazareth. Bitter hatred and jealousy made them violent and filled them with thoughts of murder. So that in the highest places in the government, the plan was set in motion to find a way to murder Jesus of Nazareth. As the story unfolds in our text today, it takes place after midnight in the wee hours of Friday morning. Luke chapter 22, I'll begin reading at verse number 39. And Jesus came out and went as he was accustomed to the Mount of Olives. 
and his disciples also followed him. We know that it was the height of Passover holiday in Jerusalem. The only thing that we have to compare with the Passover is our own celebration of Christmas. Christmas is our most joyful holiday of the year. We celebrate it for several days. I always do. Christmas Eve, on to Christmas Day, the day after we're gathering with family and friends. We just keep celebrating a time of joy and happiness for all. That's the way the Jews celebrated Passover. Two or three days of feasting. All sorts of religious celebrations at the temple. Gathering together and singing. Gathering together with family and friends. And the city of Jerusalem stayed up almost all night for two or three days celebrating and feasting. It was a very festive mood in the city of Jerusalem But Jesus was leaving it behind. He led 11 of his disciples out of Jerusalem through those noisy streets and out the eastern gate of the city. Those 12 men led by Jesus were quiet as they walked. It was obvious that Jesus was preoccupied. He was quiet as they walked little group crossed over a bridge, a, a, a river, a little brook down in the valley, and they began to climb up what's called the Mount of Olives. And as the sounds of celebrating grew fainter and fainter, the higher up the mountain they went, they followed Jesus up and up. It was a terraced hillside, and up near the top was a private garden. It had a gate. It was a very quiet place. And large olive trees, which spread out and were thick, grew in this private garden. It was after midnight, and the thick olive trees made dark shadows in the garden. Jesus left eight of his disciples at the gate of that garden. And he took three special ones, Peter, James, and John, with him deeper into the garden and under the trees. Verse 40, And when he was at the place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. That's all he said. Kneel here under the dark shadows of the olive trees and pray. Trouble is coming. Pray that you'll be able to handle the coming trial. Then Jesus went by himself deeper into the garden, verse 41. And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now the scene is set. In the dark shadows of the garden, alone now, Jesus fell down on his knees and he began to pray. My friends, we are about to witness something that is stunning and shocking. There's nothing you or I have ever experienced that can compare to what we're about to witness. It is so mysterious. 
that many people have misunderstood what happened under those olive trees. As I attempt to describe it to you, I admit I find myself inadequate searching for words. This event is explained in Matthew and Mark's Gospel, also shortly in John's Gospel. I will use those accounts as I try to explain what took place. Verse 42 again, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It was around 1 a.m. on Friday morning. It's the first Friday that we call now good. In eight hours, Jesus would be crucified. By three o'clock that day, he would be dead. He would die in one of the most cruel and horrible ways ever devised by the human mind. They would nail him through his hands and feet and hang him on a cross of wood until he died. Before that, they would punch him, slap him, spit in his face, and shove a crown of thorns onto his head. They would humiliate him in every possible way when they were done with that, they would whip him with a leather whip with little pieces of metal tied to the end of the whip. And after they made his body all bloody and torn from the whipping, then they would crucify him. He knew what was coming. And as Jesus prays in the garden under the trees... He looks ahead to the next few hours. And there in the darkness of the night, he kneels down and prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now listen, my friend. Many people have interpreted that prayer as a desire to avoid all the pain and suffering and as a fear of death that was to happen at 3 o'clock that afternoon. They say, they say Jesus looked ahead. He saw the suffering. He saw the horrible treatment that he was about to receive. And he saw his own death. Then he fell on his knees and said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Or in other words, is there any way that I can avoid all this? And people say, Jesus was afraid to die. My friends, I just cannot accept that. Believe me. If I was about to face what Jesus went through, it would be fear. The horrible violence and the intense suffering, I'd be praying, God, help me, deliver me, help me. After all, I asked God in my prayers, God, please protect me from coronavirus. That's me. But that's not Jesus. 
We've seen him fearlessly defying the priests and Pharisees. Fearlessly going into the temple in Jerusalem and turning the place upside down because he's not afraid. In spite of all their plans to murder him, he goes to the temple over and over again. My friends, many a brave men in history have grabbed their weapons and rushed onto the battlefield and given his life fearlessly for a cause he believed in. In ancient times, people were killed because they believed in Jesus. People were burned at the stake for believing in Jesus. And the record of their life and their death was that they died fearlessly in the fire, defending their faith. I cannot think that Jesus is afraid to die. Afraid to die? That's the whole reason he came to earth in the first place. No, I cannot find fear in the heart of Jesus. He's not a coward like me. So if he's not afraid to die, then what is he praying for? Now we know how it went. Jesus went away from those disciples three times and he prayed that prayer. He went and prayed and then he came back, found them sleeping three times. But apparently each time he prayed, it became more and more intense. Now just how intense we are about to see. Verse 42 Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. So it was so intense that he was weakened by it. He used all his human strength in the struggle. So an angel came and said and gave him some strength. Now, I don't know how the angel did that or what the angel did. That's not been told us. Probably it was a form of a loving embrace, encouragement, support. Maybe highly likely was a cup of cold water. After all, his three best friends were sleeping. But when he went back to pray once more, verse 44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When Jesus came back from that time of praying, his clothes are soaked with sweat. His mental state is so stressed And what happened to him is described with this word, agony. The struggle was so intense that his blood vessels broke in his forehead and dripped out of his forehead through his sweat gland. There have been a couple of times in human history where that was recorded besides this event. And so his sweat-drenched 
clothes are covered with a pink stain as his blood mixed with his sweat. And then the Bible says that he sobbed in agony. Why? Why? If he's not afraid to die, then why? Why this bloody sweat? Why the agony? Why the prayer? Let this cup pass from me. It has been explained to us various places through the Bible. That Jesus died for our sins. That he died in our place substituting himself for us. That God took our sins and the punishment that they deserve and transferred those sins onto Jesus and then he died for us. Or I think in the most graphic and exact description that the Bible gives, he became sin For us who knew no sin. I believe with all my heart. That that's what made Jesus fearful. That's what made him sweat. That's what made the agony. And that's what caused his blood vessels to burst. So that he sweats his own blood out. How do you describe. What happened to Jesus. When our sins were transferred onto him. Can you think with me for a minute about human sin? And all that humans have done. Every imaginable sin ever committed. Think of it now. Vicious, bloody, violent murders. Think of the cruel treatment of people in concentration camps. Starvation, beatings, gas chambers. Think of horrible rapes and violent attacks, twisted tortures, every evil and vile, disgusting thing that humans have thought of to do. And look at the mass of human sin. How would you describe it? It's revolting. You wouldn't want to touch it. It's a contagion. Contagious, filthy virus. Touch it and you're immediately infected. It crawls like a virus and covers everything he touches with disease and deformity. That crawling mass of human sin was to be laid on Jesus as he hung on that cross. And he would naturally be repulsed by the human contagious sin. How to take it. My friends, I've been at a hospital where a young lady I knew was dying of stab wounds. 
She was attacked by a drunken man with a knife. And he stabbed her. She was dying from her wounds. The violence is so shocking you can't take it in. Can't think of it. Jesus is about to take in all the sins of humanity. Every awful unimaginable thing that they've thought to do and he shrinks back from the contagious virus called sin. You and I want to protect the people we love from this virus called Corona. Jesus wanted to protect the people he loved from the horrible, deadly virus called sin. My friends, if you are infected with sin, it will kill you. It's much more deadly than any coronavirus. It's something that you need to practice social distance from. Jesus, because he loved you and me, offered a cure for the disease of sin. And as he prays under the olive trees, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I will do what you sent me to do. I accept the contagion. I will be infected in that way. And in so doing, I will offer a cure. And he accepted the mission under the olive trees as he sweat his blood. Then he bravely stood up and felt perfect peace, ready to do what had to be done. He walked back to his disciples who were sleeping. And it says he looked down across the mountainside toward the city of Jerusalem. There was a whole line of torches coming up the mountain. Here they come. Verse 47. Well, he yet spake. Behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss. No sooner had he accepted the mission, no sooner had he agreed to be infected by sin, than he was faced with one of the most infamous sins of all times, One of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot, led a group of soldiers to arrest Jesus and in a display of feigned affection with a kiss, the traitor Judas betrayed Jesus into the hands of the men that would kill him and it says he did it for 30 pieces of silver. That liar. That traitor. That hypocrite. That turncoat sold the best man that ever lived for 30 pieces of silver. And still, Jesus would die to forgive Judas Iscariot. As we come to this season of the year, we focused on the greatest events in human history. Nothing ever greater has happened than the death of Jesus Christ. Unlike the people who are struggling 
working desperately, hoping to find a cure for coronavirus, Jesus has successfully found a cure for the virus called sin. And he offers it to one and all. He paid a terrible price to make it available now. But now the most infectious, dangerous disease that has spread over the human population has a cure. Jesus offers full pardon. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We sing the old song, O love divine, what hast thou done? The incarnate God has died for me. The Father's co-eternal Son bore all our sins upon the tree. The Son of God for me has died. My Lord, my love is crucified. He's crucified for you and me to bring us rebels near to God. Believe, believe the record true. You all are bought by Jesus' blood. Pardon for all flows from his side. Thank you, Jesus, for taking that sin and infection on yourself for us. Next week, we look at Jesus on trial for his life in the most bizarre miscarriage of justice ever perpetrated by humans. Jesus, next week, we'll see, is condemned to die. And come what may, I will be here next week. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did for taking that contagion on yourself, touching it and embracing it and lifting it off of us, that we might go free. Help us never to forget what it cost you as we take these good things from your hands. So help us, Lord, at this season of the year as we come along and gather our thoughts together that we might remember what you paid for us, first of all, and then just how free it made us. We're glad that we can trust you with our hearts and with our souls, with our whole lives. And we put our faith in you. We're glad that you saved us, and we appreciate it down the bottom of our hearts, and we promise to serve you in every way. Bless us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn books to hymn number 81. In closing, hymn number 81, standing as they sing in closing, lead me to Calvary. Page number 81. Thine agony 
grateful to know that you were in that garden that night and that you were in agony not for fear but that you were taking on the sins of the world that great contagious disease of sin the things of which we have each and every one of us added to the contagion of We know that we have done the wrong things in our lives, Lord, and we ask for forgiveness. We come to this place. We are in great need of you and what you have brought to us on that cross, the Lamb of God, taking away the sins of the world. We pray that our hearts would be ready to listen, ready to repent, ready to desire righteousness, to ask you for forgiveness to walk in newness of life that you have brought and that you have offered only by your great cross, the death and even more the great resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord has brought us new life. We are thankful for that and that all we need do is ask, believe and know that you have done this thing and brought us a new opportunity to be in heaven with you. That you are all-powerful over all of these things. We ask, Lord, for your protection on all of these people in this place and beyond. Lord, watch over our towns and our cities, our country, our world. We are grateful that you have done many things in this place. And we just pray that our hearts would go out to all those folks out there. 
Bring them strength at this time. Help them to know what is the most important thing, to know you in their lives and their hearts. We ask for all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Levi. I will, we will go off the air for a few minutes. We're coming back on. I'm going to talk about the current crisis in the Sunday school class. And so we'll come back on in 20 minutes or so. We'll be back on the air. See you then, folks. I'll talk about the current crisis then. Thank you. You're dismissed. There's coffee in the back. Donuts, too. Help yourself. Thank you.